0: Outside Center with Dr. Dark. W-C-R-F-M. Well, welcome to today's show. We have uh, one of the legends of the disability movement with us today, and of course that is uh, Judith Stevenson. Hello Judith.
1: Hello. I didn't know I was a legend. <laughs>
0: Uh, you're a legend. You're an absolute legend. Oh, right. Uh, you've been called many things, but uh, probably you're not a legend there. No,
1: often. I haven't been called a legend. Right. No.
0: So we're going to talk about disability, as we always do every week on this show, mm-hmm. and, and you've got a lifelong experience of being in the disability movement, haven't you? Well, it feels like a lifetime.
1: Well, yes, it feels longer than
0: a <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> uh, probably about 15, 16 years. 15, 16 years. Mm. And, and where did that start, your involvement?
1: Um, well, it started through me acquiring an impairment, really, mm-hmm. through having bone cancer.
0: Mm.
1: Um, I lived in Italy. Yeah, it's a long story. I lived in Italy. I had bone cancer. It was misdiagnosed. Anyway, I ended up with a fairly sort of radical intervention and a few <laughs> years of misery and uh, had this impairment. It was quite angry, um, about uh, the kind of treatment uh, that you're given, you know, in terms of an employment and fairly voyeuristic uh, medical profession, etc. And um, just by chance picked up this book by uh, that was written, um, obviously a very old book, um, by disabled women and thought, ah.
0: Which book was that? Not uh, the Jenny Morris one?
1: No, no, long before that. Long
0: before that.
1: I can't remember. It, it's disabled women writes about their experience. I mean, some of it was quite medical model mm-hmm. um, at the time, but mm-hmm. for me it was a kind of uh, uh, revolutionary experience to read this book. And I thought, ah, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and um started sort of um, just exploring, I suppose, uh, user. Disability politics, mm. the use of politics. And
0: so, what had you worked as before? Oh, God. <laughs> um, <laughs> nothing related to that whatsoever. But, such a, because I think a lot of people who know you would be interested before disability. What? Oh,
1: well, before disability, um, I lived in uh, Italy. I lived in Sicily um, f- for many years, from a very young age, from the age of 20 really, uh, where I got married, um, ran a theatre. Socialist communist theatre cooperative mm-hmm. with my uh, the father, of my son, mm-hmm. ex husband, obviously <laughs> can't remember what he looks like now, ah, <laughs> so ah, many ah, years ago. <laughs> but uh, and we ran this uh, socialist communist cooperative uh, theatre in Catania called Piscato, El Piscator. And uh, just to, to enlighten you with a bit of information, useless information, El Piscator was a political uh, theatrician, writer, did radical theatre, and the theatre was named after him. Um,
0: is it still going?
1: Um, yeah, the theatre still exists, apparently. I was asking my son, actually. Um, it still exists. Whether it's run by um, sort of uh, revolutionary groups or not, I don't know.
0: So your son is obviously Italian?
1: My son's Italian through and through, yeah. Right. Right. Um, although he's got a very strange name because my ex um, uh, husbands half Serbian and half Sicilian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we then moved to Milan... And I taught English, but we also did, we kept doing arts. We we ran for a period of time. <laughs> um, this is my uh, comrade, ex-husband. Um, <laughs> a school of animation for children, um, using puppets and uh, various things. Tried to get something like that off the ground, but then decided that poverty was a bit too much. <laughs> so <laughs> we, <laughs> we moved to Milan. Um, and I just taught English. Was always involved in politics, but I taught English and for a school um, of inter- for interpreters, and then freelance to illustrious places like IBM, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually started having symptoms of something that I didn't know what it was anyway. It was misdiagnosed for four or five years, but it ended up being bone cancer, and that's how I. Um, came so you, back to England.
0: So your involvement in, in kind of disability politics is you're a very political person anyway, yeah. and you've always had that kind of history. So are, are your family political? Um, no,
1: they're not, actually.
0: And so where do you think you got it from?
1: Um, I don't know. It must be an aberration. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, my grandfather was a communist, mm. although he used to go and drink in the Tory club because the beer was better. Uh, my family... <laughs> <laughs> my family are from um, mining stock. Mm. Um, my, um, as far as I know, my mother's uh, father um, was originally from Ireland. Mm-hmm. Who's a very, very, very intelligent man. Mm. Um, apart from drinking in the Tory Club, of course. And that sounds uh, clever to me. And cheaper w- beer and better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes he was he was uh, drinking with his uh, superiors <laughs> and uh, my um, granddad, uh, my father's um, father um, was a salvationist who was part of the Salvation Army, mm-hmm. but he was very much a humanitarian, he was a conscientious objector mm-hmm. during the war um, so he obviously he went through a lot of fun stuff about that and he was in the Salvation Army. For Obviously, he was very, very, very Christian. Um,
0: so, uh, are you religious at all? Have you ever had your little flourishes with the religion?
1: Oh, I've had my flings with uh, religion, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mainly, um, I think, um, as we all do, like cause I'm a Christian, not a Catholic. I think I was baptized a Methodist or something. Mm. So, I remember at the age of 12 <laughs> going to um, what was that funny guy's name?
0: There were um, lots when you were 12. Yeah,
1: there were loads, but that Billy Graham was... Billy Graham. Is it? Billy Graham.
0: He's not known as a comedian. No, no. You mean the evangelical American leader?
1: Yeah, I remember being dragged there once, and um, it was like a nightmare because Jane Mansfield that had been in a car accident, and her head had been chopped off, and that's remained in my <laughs> psyche. And he was saying, oh, it's because she was wicked. Right. Um, so I think that put me off all stop. <laughs> And um, I always aspired to be wicked. And uh,
0: <laughs>
1: and um, I had a, a partner during my life who was uh, a Buddhist, mm. and he kept trying to tempt me to go to the Buddhist temple and sit cross-legged, but that's something I couldn't do. I just get ultimately very bored and also what put me off the one time I did you know the women had to bow and scrape even to the head monk or whatever it's called
0: even to the bottom monk yeah
1: even to the bottom monk um when they were serving the tea they were sort of crawling on their knees and I thought no I don't think this is for me
0: (laughs) and and so where are you where were you born
1: Oh I was born in Leamington Spa.
0: Glorious Leamington Spa. Yes, Leamington Spa. Glorious Leamington Spa.
1: Middle England Leamington Spa but on the wrong side of the bridge. So so
0: what was your first kind of encounter with the disability movement then? What which group people?
1: Um I'd always um I don't know I didn't have groups of people. I mean I'd always my family there are a lot of disabled people in my family. Mm. So disability was part and parcel of, of my family. I mean um my mother used to say, oh God, you know, we've got some curse on us or something. My um, aunt uh, is deafblind. Uh, my other aunt had uh, MS at a very young age.
0: You're like a eugenics advert, really, aren't you? I am, yeah. <laughs> and uh, MS,
1: she was diagnosed when she was 22. Mm. And she died when she was 49. Mm-hmm. You know, really rapid sort oh, of no. progression. Mm. Um, my um, uncle... It's a really nice, you know, sort of "oh <laughs> woe is me" working class story. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine Cooks and all that
0: shared by so many. Yeah,
1: my exactly. My um, uncle also had severe depression. My mum's half brother, and um, died at a very young
0: age. So you were familiar with it, and it was a kind of a life experience. But then, yeah, it but didn't
1: seem particularly. You know, it was just. My family, really. But obviously you are aware of the... um, I was going to say something rude then, but the barriers and the inconvenience and the sort of injustice... The discrimination and oppression. Exactly, that disabled people have to face every day in their lives.
0: And so you got involved and then you ended up running Coventry's... What were they called?
1: Well, actually, no. When I started, um, um, I started in the disability movement um, not really knowing it was the disability <laughs> movement. It, but it wanting still doesn't know it is. No, exactly. And wanting to create something. Um, and it was called Warwick District Council for Disabled People when I started. And I was a lone worker. And that was at the, the great advent of the great community care. And I was uh, employed as a development worker. Um, and clearly... I was just working part-time. It was just me. Mm. And um, I just started then and then t- eventually um, just kept organising groups, like particular topic-based groups and arts was one of them, mm-hmm. access was the other, education, mm. employment was another. And it was amazing at that point in time how many disabled people actually came. You know, you'd have a meeting. There'd be about 50 people Mm. in just a very small area Mm. um, because there was a great need and impetus to do Mm. something Um, and I was told um, consistently and probably still am uh, that I was completely crazy and it just wasn't the right way to do things But however it was very successful and eventually um, we got a lot of people to actually become members Um, a lot of disabled people became part of the board or the committee and Obviously, we then changed it to Council of Disabled People. It then became South Warwickshire, um, as opposed to Warwick... <laughs> creeping South Warwickshire, as opposed to Warwick District. It mm-hmm. then became Warwickshire. It then became Coventry and Warwickshire. And I believe now that they are... One of the legacies was doing a basis bid Um before I took voluntary redundancy, but we might talk about after having experienced a nervous breakdown, I hasten mm-hmm. to add, mm-hmm. or during that period. Um, but the legacy is there, and um, they are now facilitating and supporting um, groups of disabled people in, in the West Midlands.
0: So, was that easy to achieve? And what were the problems you faced? Oh, God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Without um, naming names, thanks, obviously. Paul. <laughs>
0: Now what what do you think of the the barriers that those kind of organisations faced in their initial setup broadly
1: actually if you want a real political analysis of it from a party political perspective it mm. wasn't i don't think it was it, i mean obviously it was difficult to achieve in terms of my energy mm-hmm. but i got so enthused about you know the disability movement mm. um was involved with dan dan action that you obviously are not too keen about, well, you are keen about it, but in terms of their agenda at the time, it was a very exciting place to be in. Mm. Um, And disabled people um, had no no recourse. Remember, there was no DDA Mm. at that point in time. Uh, There was no direct payments Mm. uh, legislation. There was no independent living at all. In fact, I think we were not the first because, you know, neither here nor there but one of the first organizations to do indirect payments before the legislation came about Mm -hmm. and from my perspective I mean I'm anything but a Tory or or New Labour as you know I'm a socialist Mm -hmm. Um, but the Tories were more flexible at that point in time with indirect payment indirect payments was more flexible for disabled people to be able to use that money appropriately mm. and more flexibly. Mm. So when New Labour came in, interposed in that they tried to centralise it again, mm. possibly through legislating for it, and mm. then obviously mm. legislation that most people would think needs to be there, um, actually I think was an obstacle uh, to disabled people's independence.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, How has it changed? Now. Yeah. Well, is it harder now to get the disabled people involved?
1: I think so, yeah.
0: And what, what do you put that down to?
1: Well, because the disability movement has always followed a rights-based agenda. Um, what's happened is that um, the government has palmed us off with the Disability Discrimination Act. Like you've got rights now, you've got rights to work, you've got rights to be a wage slave just like everybody else, but there aren't any jobs anyway at the moment. Um, knowing full well that uh, employers discriminate against disabled people, so but that I'm sidetracking, but yes, we've got the legislation which is kind of rubbish legislation in the first place, the DDA, mm. uh, you've got direct payments, we've got individualized budgets, the leaders, are but surely
0: that you could argue then that disabled people have won everything they wanted.
1: Um, well, they've won the little rights battle. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not quite. They've run their rights battle in terms of a, a rights being enshrined in law. But we all know rights is um, a kind of uh, bourgeois... <laughs> a
0: bourgeois hobby. Hobby. <coughs> fetish, actually. Mm-hmm. Because, fetish.
1: Yes, because you don't actually have rights if you haven't got the money to embrace those rights, if you don't have... The education or the awareness to know that you've got those rights. I mean, everybody's more or less aware that they've got rights with advocates, etc. But you know, rights is a very strange concept. I mean, obviously, I come from a socialist perspective. I think disabled people should actually be challenging the whole social and political structure to enable them to to be
0: um, equal. You, but do you think disabled people are in a unique position to be able to do that? that's what I find interesting. Because, like, you could say that about all groups in society should be doing that. Are disabled people, in your view, in a unique position to be able to do that more effectively?
1: I think so. Before, of course, they don't exist anymore through uh, eugenic abortion. Mm. You know, on the one hand, you're given rights, on the other hand, you're... Uh, in actual fact you're not being allowed to live in the first place mm, mm. Um, obviously those rights will eventually only only be for people with acquired impairment or older people i think disabled people are in a unique position to do that mm. i don't think we've got you know obviously this might be contentious because i'm not talking from a work perspective here i'm talk- talking from a personal perspective here mm-hmm. but Bearing in mind, you know what's happened is that the leaders have become incorporated with new la- into neoliberal politics.
0: So this is the disabled leaders. Yes. Disability leaders of the movement. Well, the
1: ones that are perceived to be leaders. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because I don't believe in the concept of leaders anyway. Um, but you were a leader. No, I'm not.
0: No, but you were. You were seen as a leader, surely, in, in the West Midlands, and you know, the leader of the the Coventry bunch. You were the leading light. You were the leader. So how how do you how can you not be seen as a leader when, when, you know, you're going to be called that. And you have been called that.
1: Well, that's about identity, isn't it? Yeah. I never assumed that I was a leader. I was trying to get people uh, to have direct payments, get uh, information advice, do research on refu- uh, disabled refugees, mm. um, develop the arts and the creativity, you know. Mm. And obviously, as soon as you start being successful in any which way not me personally but making an organization successful then then you know there's always that person that wants to uh, remove that success not Mm. realizing that actually you're not doing it for yourself you're actually doing it for for mm. the organization of course i got satisfaction out of it i also got a lot of shit out of it because i ended up having a breakdown mm. mainly because you get to the point that you are just fed up with being attacked mm. and uh, not just individually by local authorities and mm. and various mm. various bodies and do
0: you think that changes? that's what i, I find interesting So when when that was happening, did you feel that the politics of disability and the disability movement was changing, that was making it harder for you? Because in the first, like, ten years at Coventry, there was an immense success, yes? mm -hmm. Uh, But did it, you know, and you had the breakdown, but was that because it was getting harder to achieve true equality? Did that play any part in it, or was it purely about people?
1: Um, I think... um the, you know, obviously the organisation still exists. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I feel okay. You mm-hmm. know, I I established this. I I helped establish it with my colleagues and the committee and mm-hmm. and the members of staff. But our true problems began, um, in by by me um, actually, and and my colleagues that stood true mm-hmm. as. Comrades, I would say, mm-hmm. um, in the disability movement. Um, when we started challenging the local authorities because we had become uncomfortable, um, I think I had become an uncomfortable persona mm-hmm. because when I started, it was pure disability politics and not trying to achieve independent living, direct payments. And it got to the point where clearly. You know, when someone has some kind of status, I was a big fish in a small pond. Remember, I wasn't mm-hmm. really. You know, they want to incorporate you, and if you don't play their game, you know, this is uh, this is probably um, a, an observance of, um, you know, politics and. Well, that's what I'm interested in.
0: Not, not particularly. Hap- uh, you know, we all have personal stories, but equally. So, do you think that what what you've experienced in that kind of becoming a problem politically? in in, in kind of like with social services and local authorities. Is that what the movement suffered from, the disability movement? Oh,
1: yeah. Well, I'm not saying that happened to everybody, but, yes, of course it did. I mean, from a purely perspective developmental thing, we, for example, challenged uh, Warwickshire County Council who withdrew our our contract for direct payments. Mm. Uh, The reason that they withdrew our contract for direct payments um, is they said it... an organisation could deliver it better right. and that we weren't in a financial position. We'd been running that contract. And, and we were people.
0: they a non-disabled organisation?
1: No, they're an organisation, I can't really say their name really. No, because I don't want they, to. They're an organisation that uh, set up local groups once right. they've gone into an area, but I believe that you know they're, they're having trouble now. Right. Um, but um, we were asked, um, we were told uh, that our finances weren't in place. I actually had a great capitalist ally in this, which was HSBC Bank, said actually, they've never asked mm. for any information on your finances. Mm. And they wrote a letter
0: mm. like that. So do you
1: think this has We been then took Coventry City, sorry, Coventry City Council, we took a direct action against Coventry City mm. Council. Mm. That was my, from my personal perspective, that was the point on where I thought, I'm either true to what I am, who I am, mm or I'm just a sellout. Mm. Um, I spoke to all the staff. What happened to country City Council? I started writing to disabled people saying they were starting to charge for services. They hadn't consulted re- in a reasonable manner. And um, some people being left with 10 pounds ten pounds a week, disposable income. So we took a direct action outside of country City Council. Uh, Mencap with our support, I took Coventry City Council to judicial review Mm -hmm. and Coventry City Council were deemed fraudulent and had to return the money, Mm. nevertheless, which I expected, like, a month later, our our contract was taken away in Coventry City Council.
0: Mm. And so that's happened in a lot of places, I think, that kind of...
1: That's happened to loads of um, disabled people's organisations that happened in Shropshire.
0: So what's it been replaced with?
1: It's been replaced with um, DPOs, as they call them, or ULOs, as they like to call them. Which stands for? Uh, Disabled People's Organisations, or User-Led Organisations, which is now the buzzword for government after a, hun- after a century, mm-hmm. that you and I both know that people have been doing for years, mm-hmm. um, that um, have to toe the line. Mm-hmm it's about consultation, it is about personalised budgets, and, and clearly, you know, most disabled people um, would prefer to go to an organisation which is run by disabled people that can offer them that service and have empathy with them and be more committed, but that, you know, we've ended up with those, and people that do um, campaign on lighter issues, but I don't think um, there is a, um, a movement that is analysing, or you know, or theorising, on some kind of way forward for us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's 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 just the way we are under New Labour, um, <coughs> and possibly Tory, <coughs> um, is that most of these groups who either become incorporated and mm. deliver government programmes, or you flounder.
0: So in a way, it, it, it the whole. Uh, disability movement has been depoliticised it's neutered by kind of corporate restraint by by actually bringing them into the corporate process is that what you're saying yeah and so surely that was inevitable
1: well that's probably inevitable with all organisations I think oh god you know I'd like to come out with some really clever quote but I mean all organisations have their time Mm. and their place Mm but disabled people haven't achieved we haven't achieved what we want really mm. if we'll ever achieve it yeah. and it's like maybe we need to come up with a new theory maybe we need to get together and look at yeah. at ways of you know i mean as i say you know rights i'm not saying with disabled people the thing is you know rights is it's expedient because it's your life you need these things, you need to live independently you you need the right support, you need the right care um, but at the same time becoming incorporated, they're taking all that away like if, or trying to the DLA becoming sort of involved with a personalised agenda AA, um, eugenic abortion mm-hmm. advanced directives living mm-hmm. wills and, mm-hmm. and assisted suicide mm. um, we're being sanitised I suppose in a way and incorporated.
0: And, and so how do you think that disability is closely related to issues of sexuality, gender and race? And have those other groups let us down? Have those other groups let disabled people down uh, through themselves becoming corporate within the kind of mainstream structure of Contemporary you talk Britain. about
1: the Equality of the Human Rights Commission <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination? I'm not,
0: actually. I'm talking more <laughs> broadly politically. Yes, uh, of course they've just, let us down. Yeah.
1: I don't think they ever... We were on their agenda anyway, so I don't know what you mean by let us down. <laughs> we are... You know, disabled people aren't on that agenda. Mm. You know, I mean, we use analogies.
0: Mm.
1: Um, clearly we use analogies of uh, sort of race, gender lgbt Mm -hmm. issues which is very much the equality and human rights agenda at the moment is Mm -hmm. lgbt you know Uh, we go in (laughs) (laughs) programs we go in phases (laughs) what who's fashionable next (laughs) um but yes i think we've been sorely let down and i think that our struggle Mm -hmm. um has got to be taken on board um clearly this is my personal opinion and i'm I'm vainly talking in the wilderness here. Mm-hmm. Um it has got to be taken on board I think by those anti-capitalist organizations and
0: movements
1: um in the w- in the wider and mm. the wider sphere.
0: And and why do you think they are so reluctant to take us on board on those agendas because surely it w- it would help them. How would it help them? Uh, because it would uh, facilitate greater equality for all of us, and and a kind of uh, a sense of humanity that often they lack, and and equally, it's only when we're free that they'll be free.
1: Well, that's what I think.
0: And don't they realise that? No. Do so you think that? So, uh, they, you think they're suffering from the same kind of ignorance and prejudice against disabled people as everybody else?
1: Of course, they are.
0: <laughs> okay, that's that one sorted. No, oh, no, let me play a record. No, yeah, go on. No, but no, I'm not going to play a record. Of
1: course, they are. Yeah.
0: No. Yeah. Right. So, uh, your what are the talk about arts now? What do you do creatively?
1: Oh, what do I do creatively? You mean directly?
0: Do yeah. Do I do creatively? i, I to give you as a disabled artist yourself, and you are. So, what do you do?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I <I'd> knit. <laughs> There's I do <laughs> wrong in knitting. I knit uh, stuff, wall hangings. Political knitting. I, start, I hope. It's no, political knitting. No, I haven't knit the uh, flag yet with the sickle on it or anything like that. I'm a libertarian. Socialist. Leave those with
0: sickle cell out of this. No, I knit paintings, <laughs>
1: would you believe? And, um, you know, a joke on paintings. My latest, well, not my latest, but my most joked creation was um, a knitted um, huge throw called Mondrian's Granny. Mm-hmm. Uh, because only Mondrian's granny would knit something.
0: Mm. Um, what else do I do? I play drums. You play drums. Yeah. Uh, and and when are we? Uh, we're gonna have a mass exhibition one day of your uh, knitting works. I hope. Uh,
1: no, I don't think so, Paul.
0: <laughs> 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 so why I'll do you? you why present. do you knit? I paint. So let's come back to knitting. Knitting is the most interesting thing. Why do you knit? I don't know. Do you find it therapeutic?
1: I've um well, I don't analyze it as therapeutic. You know, mm-hmm. it's like yeah, it's monotonous. It's kind of meditative As I'm too sort of lazy or uh, get too bored easily meditating. I find it quite meditative and it's also something you can do.
0: And and how often do you do it?
1: Well, I go in, I think I go in 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 phases um of uh uh, immense activity mm. for periods of time where I'm knitting and painting and making things mm-hmm. and then I just leave it and then do something else. I think the drumming is quite therapeutic, mm. although it's not, you know, you, you have to put a lot of attention there, but I find the drumming is very, very therapeutic.
0: Mm. Mm. And what do you paint?
1: Um, walls, pictures. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What are your subjects? I
1: don't want to be pretentious about what I uh, paint because I don't class myself as a painter. It's
0: not up to you to decide. It's up to us to decide. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, I started painting, you know, sort of abstracts. I used to start beading uh, because, as most people know, I've had a lot of uh, contact with African artists, Uh, my uh, ex um, and I quite like that kind of. Uh, I'd bead a lot of paintings, quite sort of, it's quite, you know, very, very slowly mm. bead paintings to sort of kind of what I would class as kind of female uh, symbolic
0: mm-hmm.
1: paintings. Mm-hmm. I hate this because I'm, I'm not a painter. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> if I've got a space on the wall, I'm going, I, 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 I The other day I just thought, yeah, I'll do this. Again, I like Mondrian for some... It's kind of simple, you know. Mm -hmm. I did a a couple of paintings to stick on the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, That's it. I used to like gardening, but I don't have a garden anymore.
0: Not at all? No. Not at all. I've got two big balconies. Let me play a couple of records. We're going to play Santana and Family Affair, and then we'll be back to you. Uh, We've got Judith Stevenson in the studio with us, uh, a legend of the disability movement. (laughs) I'd call her a leader, but she'd only hit me. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh. (laughs) Let's talk about transhumanism.
1: Yes, let's talk about
0: it. Talk to the microphone as opposed to next to it. Yeah. What are you in? You're interested in that?
1: Well, I'm. I am interested in it. In fact, it's fascinated me. What does it
0: mean to explain to my, the listener?
1: Oh well, it's very difficult because I'm not a scientist. But I just came across it. I mean, that just goes to show, you know, how academia and the ordinary Joe public or mm-hmm. the Judas public, um, we don't get a look in. We don't really know what's going on mm-hmm. um, in terms of well, trans, this this whole set of transhumanists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're humanists, yeah. but they believe um, in, and, and apparently the technology is is available.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I suppose it's a kind of cyborgism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about enhancing human ability, mm-hmm. physical ability, and cognitive ability, using nanotechnology and other methods. And you know, I'd like to explain it in much better detail than that, but I can't. But I've been. Um, Like you have actually got this guy on my Facebook, and uh, Gregor Gregor Walbreck, and he's the one that introduced me to it um, because he's talking about transhumanism, and I said, "What the hell is that?" And so he sent me all this stuff. So I've been kind of reading his um, stuff, which is very relative to the stuff that you know, the work that you do. And What's he articulating? in a nutshell well i don't know he's a bioethicist and i suppose he's supposed i suppose if you're a bioethicist at a university and researcher you're then supposed to be objective Mm -hmm. um but um i filled out a questionnaire that he put out on the disability research list and clearly he probably thought oh my god this woman's not an academic which i'm not you know but i filled it out deliberately to to kind of see what what issues mm-hmm. um, he's dealing with, but I mean the technology is there too. Um, so you know, we—I'm interested in um, a future society, which clearly people with genetic impairments aren't going to be born. basta mm-hmm. as they say in Italian. You know, full stop. I don't
0: want. Oh right.
1: That's enough. You know, they're just not going to be born. So people with acquired in the way society is going, which is fairly scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people who acquire impairment or happen to slip through the net of eugenic abortion. I need to say I'm not against abortion because I don't want people to think I'm against abortion. I'm just against the fact that someone should you be identify aborted. Identify one
0: particular group and then do it. and then Yeah,
1: and kill them off. Yep. Um, and then we've got advanced directives. But
0: So is he arguing that this is going to benefit disabled people?
1: I don't think he's arguing it's going to, but it could benefit disabled people, and my question is what what but the questionnaire dealt with um and I don't want to misrepresent his questionnaire, but the topic dealt with. Being that disabled people may, because (coughs) of this um, technology, will be made available fairly soon, will then end up with superior abilities to non disabled people. Mm -hmm. For, um, I'm just making you know, I'm not making this up, I'm just making these examples. For example, Mm -hmm. you might have a head injury and then you have an implant in your brain, will give you cognitive abilities beyond what the so called um, average. Mm-hmm. N- non-disabled person has yep. and so therefore obviously as in cosmetic surgery for example we all know that um, uh, everyone who's got a little bit of money or the rich people or celebrities are, are going to look young, they look a bit peculiar but they look
0: young It worked for us
1: Yes, it didn't <laughs> work for me, I'm just putting my face fish, fish like um,
0: Really I'm 400 years <laughs> old
1: <laughs> Well I'm a thousand <laughs> uh, and and um, so they're going to have superior abilities, and their body, and and so it will be. You know, non-disabled people will then um, obviously want to to be able to. And so it's going to set establish a system of apartheid. I mean, in high-income countries, mm-hmm. as opposed to low-income countries. Yep. Um, rich people, as it is everywhere, as opposed to working class people. Or so, nothing's people. going to change, really.
0: No, it isn't <laughs> going to
1: change. Uh, if, but it's going to be a bit blade runner. Yeah. Because you're going to have these kind of cyborg kind of human beings running mm. around, and then these sort of lump and proles that are probably going to be. Mm you know, you don't know what they're going to be used for hmm. in terms of, um, you know, economics or or labour forces. So I'm quite, I'm very interested in that. Uh,
0: and he's arguing that this this future is closer than we think, basically. It's here.
1: I don't think he's, yeah, I don't know. You People would have to go and look at his work. Mm. It's very interesting. Mm. Um, you know, obviously he talks about ableism as uh, um, opposed to disableism. And mm. um, I read something very recently that he put out this week, last week, uh, which was about something called adaptive apartheid, mm-hmm. um, which is happening now. We all knew with uh, Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, the people that weren't rescued. I mean, it was quite a big hoo-ha about, you know, there were black people that weren't rescued. Well, clearly in New Orleans, there are more black people, um, and obviously uh, because of discrimination, etc., more black people are poorer mm-hmm. in, um, in 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 fairly big sort of metropolitan areas. Mm -hmm. But the striking thing that we all know is disabled people that were actually left to drown. Mm -hmm. Older people and disabled people. And actually, um, this thing about adaptive uh, apartheid is about a technology that is used or crisis support um, with with climate change Mm -hmm. in terms of who you're going to rescue and who you aren't. And I can bet you bottom-down disabled people won't be rescued because with with a utilitarian philosophy, um, they're less worthy to be rescued because they contribute. Mm -hmm. They're still perceived as contributing less to society. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this... Like assisted suicide, this this is what people keep going on about, Oh, I want the right to die and I think, Well, you've got a right to die. We're all gonna die. Mm. Um, what is this this right to die business? You know, the fact that they hurried along this legislation, although it's been, you know, on the back border for years, hurried along this legislation and, and you know, and passing it off to us as as humanitarian. As a right. As a right. Yeah, like we've all got a right to die. That's one thing we all know. But as a humanitarian piece of legislation
0: mm. Mm. So this, as uh,
1: opposed to saving the economic, mm. you know,
0: you know, the NHS bill or social services. Yep. So coming back to adaptive apartheid, what what does that precisely mean? I don't get the uh, listener who I can probably name. Uh, what what, Me? what <laughs> I've got millions <laughs> of listeners back, across the, the world. This about? is the most listened show coming out of all around. <laughs> I'll tell you, I've got global listenership. Uh, adaptive apartheid. What, give us a bit more on that.
1: Well, you know, if I could, I would, because I only read one article. It That's was a, enough. It was a conference. I've um, given
0: speeches on the basis of reading one article, mm. so let's go with it.
1: Adaptive, clearly it's from an American perspective, mm. and I think um, South African perspective. Um, adaptive, it's like, you know, the adaptations to save or... Um, vulnerable people perceived as vulnerable well they are vulnerable in a situation where if you use a wheelchair and you're in a flood and you can't you know more vulnerable people older people um during a period of climate change being actually there isn't no, there's is no policy or there is even i can't you know i don't want to misquote the article there's no particular policy about how you would target resources res- resources or target energy to actually save people in a situation of climate change mm. um but as you are you know quite brainy paul
0: i have my moments you
1: have a mess you are a legend <laughs> get my own back you are a legend paul you can actually a go leg- and study a, le- it. a
0: legend in my own mind yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can go and study it but all these things, you know, we don't go there. I mean, we, I have obviously been there because I have too much time on my hands, obviously, at night. You know, <laughs> I'm just a boring old fart.
0: But um, uh,
1: the it's nor- like that
0: in Morecambe, because you live in Morecambe, though, I isn't I do. it? And so, you know, there's nothing Morecambe. to do there. Uh,
1: I won't go there.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't recommend anybody no. to go there personally. Uh, oh, no, you're
1: horrible. <laughs> I actually like living there. It, it's got the most fantastic views over the bay. Okay, it's just full of one-pound shops, but hey, I don't <laughs> mind being, you know,
0: mixing amongst my it's a lump and pro. It's a symbol for Britain. Uh, uh, so these 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 kind of apartheid, you know, they're nothing we're not used to. They're they're routine. So what let's bring it back to disability arts because you as an artist which according are an artist on many levels why do you think disability art particularly which is art that kind of comes from a kind of social model of disability and awareness of oppression and expressing that uh, why do you think it's not recognised
1: um, well exactly for that for that reason mm. we do, we, we're not like you know like I said I work, um, worked I didn't get paid we oh. ran this radical theatre company um, and cooperative in the 70s. Mm. You know, it's gone phased out. It's because, you know, we like to pretend that we live in a multicultural society in Britain, mm. in the UK. Um, so, yeah, black arts is kind of recognised, as we said at the drum, at least, in uh, in Birmingham. But disability arts um, is not recognised because we are supposed to want to aspire to be normal. mm mm-hmm. And therefore, and I mean, a lot of disabled artists will say that. So I'm an artist first, disabled second. Mm. Um, and whereas disability arts, as a genre, or however you pronounce that, um, in terms of being cutting edge political art, should be in, should be included in the mainstream if possible, and seen um, disability and oppression as as a, as um, a stimulus, as an impetus. For creativity mm-hmm. but it's just not fashionable at the moment
0: mm-hmm. although
1: we man- managed to do a disability arts
0: festival mm-hmm. Do you think it will become fashionable again or do you think it's seen its day given all these other things that are happening and and it is changing towards disability with the kind of eugenic practices you're talking about, the kind of apartheid be it written or unwritten which is I- increasingly so particularly against the kind of congenital genetic kind of individuals will it see its day again or do you think it it was a moment that's passed and
1: we're doomed God, I don't know. I haven't got a crystal ball here. Ah, in front but what of do me you Paul. think? You know,
0: you've got a lifetime experience of uh, life. You've, yes. you've got nearly seven hundred years of experience. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I've lived a thousand. Years. <laughs> you <laughs> told me you had a thousand yeah, earlier. Thousand so,
1: years. Um, no, I think it can be. I mean, you know, I'll probably not happen. You know, this won't happen. I just think that we need to um, get sort of political artists together to try and form. Um, a more radical arts movement, mm-hmm. which should include all disabled people, should be at the forefront of it. Mm-hmm. A radical arts movement. Um, clearly, you know, we're all begging for money. I mean, that's what we do. Disability arts is still seen as institutional that will not be funded unless the local authority will fund it, mm-hmm. or etc. And um, and I, you know, this is my personal view. You know, I haven't got a crystal ball, so I don't know what's going to happen to the disability movement but I really think that you know we should start some kind of radical arts movement which is expressly about um, politics, is expressly about revealing the, the systematic oppression of, of groups of people.
0: Do you think that exists elsewhere? Like your son's Italian and you see your son all the time. You, is, there, is there such a kind of group of movement in Italy?
1: I'm sure there will be. I'm not saying my son does that, but he is trying to do that, mainly through me pushing him to do that.
0: He must love his mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: bless him. He's grown up. Um, he, he's trying to do, um, you know, a festival of this nature, which mm. includes... Um,
0: me? Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, keep it in the family. Keep yeah, it in the family. Keep it in the family. <laughs> yeah. no, it's Italian. <laughs> no, mafia. Um <laughs> Sicily. <laughs> yeah. Um You, Motion Disabled. Um of course, um I'm um uh, a very well known
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, black artist. Yep. Uh, he's trying to get um, a Palestinian artist and an Israeli artist that actually work, get, work together. Mm. And obviously their work is very political as mm. well. Mm. Mm. And um, another artist, a German artist. So he's bringing together um, a group of fairly political artists, including mm. yourself, to do this work in Milan.
0: So is, is, there, is there a kind of political movement in Italy that you, that's, uh, has any kind of parallels?
1: Are oh, there is a disability movement in Italy, yeah.
0: And is it is it a radical one or is it kind of like a, a kind of in, in incorporated one like we've become?
1: No, I think it may, it may be fairly more radical than here. I'm not... Um, the problem, you know, the UK is specifically, and I suppose America as well, is specific. You know, the UK's never been very politicised, has it? Mm-hmm. It really hasn't. I mean, I put it down to, but then, you know, and I'm not a theorist. I put it down to the fact that... Uh, you know, countries like Italy had fascism. Mm. Uh, Spain also had fascism, um, and th- they have got a more um, direct approach to to um, challenging.
0: But then, a consequence of that is is that although you know we are quite, you could argue that Britain is is quite a kind of middle class bourgeois liberal consensus by and large, liberal with a small L, and and. Perhaps less so than normally, but we've not had the extremes of the left. But then we've not had the extremes of the right, particularly. Well, we might which, soon have. Well, a lot we might, of might have seen it. But but equally, in Italy, you have you know you do have a radicalised left that's quite a politicised nation. But equally, you have a very large right wing. Oh well, Boris is
1: running the country. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Well. I can't let you say that, obviously, because it's public radio, but he might not be, or he couldn't be. But you know what I mean, that right wing. So isn't the consequence of quite a radical left wing is that you often get a kind of very active right wing as well. And so isn't our system better in that it's a much more of a middle-of-the-road nothingness?
1: Um, do you no. get what I mean? I mean, it would be difficult for me to comment. You know, I belong to the Socialist Party of Great Britain, which is the oldest political party in Britain, apart mm. from the Tory parties. Mm. William Morris set out, mm. uh, and I'm a socialist, so I don't believe in Vanguard left-wing politics. I'm not. I, I don't class myself as left-wing. Mm-hmm. I would say actually we're in a neoliberal area. We're becoming very right-wing. This country.
0: Well, and I'm not going to dispute that. But my point is, is about often the countries that do have. Uh, like Italy has got communist MPs, and I think France had them, and yeah. I think so so has as Spain. Mm. But then equally, they have quite high-profile right wing as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And, and isn't that the problem of almost having a radicalised left is that it creates, in kind of opposition, a very powerful radicalised right? Oh, and, yes, and, and also
1: the left, as you, you define the left, you know, because yeah. I don't define my... My pers- myself is left. The left always argue with each other, mm, mm. Uh, well, endlessly.
0: Yeah, everybody does. I think the right do as well. Mm. Uh, but equally, given, but my well, point British is, British
1: politics are very clever. I'm not saying I'm wrong. What what the mainstream parties do in Britain is actually absorb the uh, the extremist mm. views, uh, which I suppose leads to a fairly peaceful. Society, because mm. I mean, when they interviewed the guy on BMP, mm. they were, you know, making him. I mean, I can't stand him myself, and obviously a lot of people can't. But they, they're kind of scapegoating him, and then the next breath they're talking about immigration. Mm. And mm. you think, ah, who's fueling this? Mm.
0: Mm. You mm. know, it's
1: not the BMP isn't fueling mm. it. Mm. You know, BMP is just a symptom of what's being fueled. Mm.
0: But, but I'm just more interested in that kind of broader political notion. Of you know, because you have quite a lot of experience of Italy, mm. which you know, to most people in this country, is is full of people on extremes, the left or the right, you know, from the communist to you know, kind of like the the extreme right. And given that we live in in capitalist cultures, the right will almost invariably win that kind of battle, given that they have all the money and all the power and access to the media, because they often own it. And isn't it? Is, isn't, <laughs> no name. No, no. <laughs> no, no. But, isn't, but isn't. Oh, I thought you owned <laughs> this radio station. <laughs> <for>. <laughs> oh, if only. Uh, they, they'd have me on it more. But, this, but, but I think that's interesting because people don't think about those kind of political issues.
1: No, they don't. I think people are starting to think politics in Britain mm, today. Mm. Uh, in the UK today, mm. I mean, I suppose one one sort of <laughs> thing about the BNP is people started talking politics. Mm, mm. Um, well, you know, it's the same the whole, the, the whole world over. You know, um, the capitalist owning classes, mm. um, whatever nation they are, whatever country they are, mm. you know, um, for the time being and probably time more <laughs> <but> Own. <laughs> That's the optimistic everything.
0: thing I like to hear. No.
1: <laughs> But, you know, ah. we actually do have... You know, we are the people that produce. Mm. They don't produce. We produce. Mm. We. You're producing this programme, for mm. example. We produce, you know. But, yeah, I mean, I think the disability movement, as I said, it needs to create... Not. I, I think the guy, people who did it, who is it, Mike Oliver, uh, Colin yeah, Barth. Yeah. Um, Colin Barnes, Mike Oliver, of course, Finkelstein, et cetera, I think they did acknowledge that the social model was great to a degree. Mm. What's happened is that the majority of the movement do not know it came back through a materialist analysis of mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. of industrialisation. As
0: cetera. Colin Barnes and my Oliver always say. Yeah. Mm.
1: And it it's reduced to like access.
0: Yeah.
1: It's reduced to access and access mm. to employment, mm. access to to buildings, mm. the barrier model. It's reduced to that with the sort of Grassroots groups, not even, and even mm. some of the, not, not the leaders, not actually, you know, realizing where it's coming from, so they can't really analyse what what they
0: need to do mm. to uh, to mm. go forward. So, are you hopeful for the disability movement? Oh yeah, you're going to remain hopeful and optimistic. After all you've said, I'm never optimistic. Oh. I remain hopeful. <laughs> hopeful I'm never optimistic, optimistic but I remain teams. hopeful. That's, that's that's a great uh, that's a great thing to say. Uh, so, coming back to Italy, you mm. go back to Italy a lot, yes?
1: Um, well, I don't go back a lot. My son's all over it, always over mm. here. He he lives But do you love Lamp. Italy? Do you love Italy? Um, yeah, I do. I love its colour, its um, the people, the warmth of the people. It's craziness, etc. It's craziness. It's revolving door governments. I love it. De- they at the moment they've got to get rid of Berlusconi Day. Mm. So. Um, you need to link up to that on <laughs> Facebook, and it's kind of really entertaining. Mm. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, this all seem very glib, and but you know, Italy has been run anyway by a revolving door, and it you always know, has done, uh, always, and, and it's it always always, will always do. functioned.
0: <laughs> it's still a moderately civilized country, given that. Oh, it? it
1: is. I find it a very civilized country.
0: <laughs> I thought what was interesting is I went to the EU recently, and. Uh, in the EU building, where everybody is in in kind of like sitting there in their parliament, uh, there's only there's one group of people who have little flags next to their desk. Italian No, no, no. It's it's the UKIP. <laughs> they have a little Union Jack. But then there was one other flag. So in all this 800 MEPs, there was one other little flag, and it was an Italian, and it was the Freedom for the North. Oh, they're fascist! <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they're, they're, they, they hate it, anyone they south of Rome. Because they want to split from Rome. the south, don't they? Well, of course they do. Because they want they to keep the, the rich to the south, to the south
1: rich. as a burden yeah, yeah, to so. the so-called industrial. On that Northern happy North, note,
0: because I that thought I that know. was I thought that was quite funny that uh, that that scenario. But every, the the, the, the UKIP with the flag and then the mm. single little Italian. It made me laugh. So well, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, don't and mention it. And bearing that. your soldiers. i you
1: lucky to have a legend.
0: I am lucky to have a legend, and I've got to set up something here. That's what I've got to do. So, well, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, next week, oh, I haven't got a guest booked yet. So, well, thank you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Excellent. And so next week, I haven't got a guest booked, but I'm going to play soon the Richard hayhow interviews that will be coming up in the near future. That would be my aim. And that's a three-part series of interviews that seems to last forever, but we'll